0: One welcome to church. So glad you're here. Those of you online as well, welcome you. We're so glad that we can be together, but also track with us. We're thankful to God this week for answered prayer. Uh, there were some people sick, and God heard and have gotten through. We've had people that have had COVID and have recovered, like 99.9% of people, 96% of people that get it. So praise God for that. Some of you have recovered from surgery, and we're praising God for for just safe recovery and continued recovery in your case as well. Uh, those of you that are just being cautious, we, we also just welcome you, but just this is a safe place, and everyone is always welcome here. Always welcome. The door is always open. New life has began, and will continue in that strain of like everyone is welcome here. Whatever you're at in your spiritual journey, you are welcome here, and we don't check cards or anything like that at the door, that's not what we do here. We come because God invites everyone to come and worship and experience him, and that's what we're here to do this morning. And so would you pray with me as we come to God's word together, and just praying that God would lead us and guide us and teach us this morning. And so let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. As the psalm says, you are our source of help. Our help comes from you. And we thank you, Lord, that we gather in this place, in this time, those online watching as well, joined together by the blood of Christ, unified by your Holy Spirit, all children of one Father in heaven. Your kingdom reigns forever. We acknowledge your majestic splendor, your holiness. You are the creator, completely distinct from us, the creation says that you hold all things together by your mighty hand and so we acknowledge your sovereignty, your leadership, and we are your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. Guide us, lead us, feed us today from your word, we pray, O Lord. Comfort those that are needing comfort. Strengthen those that are weak. Help your truth to just bring joy to our lives. Help us to respond in obedience to your word and guide this preacher in his weakness to magnify your strength, and so be glorified in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Haggai is written 2,500 years ago, and you wonder, is there anything in common that we have with these people that lived in a totally different part of the world, in a different era, we're in a different, you know, there's no industrial revolution at that point. They're, they're so far removed. They have a, a cultural identity as Jews that we don't have. How do we relate to these people? But they experienced many of the things that you and I are experiencing right now. The feelings, the, the fears, the anxieties, the pressures in their life are similar to what you and I might be experiencing even this past week. I mean, they lived in a place that was new. They had been relocated from Persia back to Jerusalem, but most of them had not grown up there. They came in and and they were vulnerable. There were other people living in Jerusalem, but they were sent back there, now go rebuild the temple. And they're like, yeah, let's get on with the temple. They get there, people are not happy that they're there. And there's fear, there's clear distinctions and segregation going on in Jerusalem. Who's in, who's not in. Those that are seeking to obey God are encountering significant pressure, and so they kind of back off. Why? Just so that the pressure kind of relieves, and so they, they begin to just kind of walk in a mediocre life, work on their own stuff, and leave God's temple alone, and then finally God sends the, the prophet Haggai and later Zechariah and says, look, people, I'm, I'm a, I've got an agenda here, and I want you guys to be on my agenda. But they're afraid, like some of you are for different reasons. They feel anxious. They're uncertain about their future. But what will happen to them or to their children? They're not sure if they're going to have income in the future. And things have been tight for them for several years. The crops have been failing and they're wondering, what is going on here? This is supposed to be the, the place of, of God's dwelling place. This is supposed to be the place of his blessing. But we're not experiencing his blessing. And Haggai writes and explains, this is why you're not experiencing my blessing. God invites them to reset their priorities. You put yourself first. You put your agenda first. You put your house first. Now get back to my house. And watch and wait for the blessing to follow. He says, I want you to reset your passion. I mean, you're passionate about making money, about your your crops, about this or that. And I'll get, get passionate about my agenda in the world. And I'll give you the strength to do what I've called you to do. He invites them to reset their perspective. You haven't been thinking right about things. Get your mind reoriented towards My purposes, my truth, my presence with you. I'm with you, he says multiple times throughout his prophecy. I'm with you, says the Lord. I'm with you, says the Lord. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Perspective. Then today he says, you know, I want you to reset your purity. And as we get to the end of Haggai, this is the last corporate message to the people. And it starts with the bad news and ends with the good news. And, of course, we always like to get the bad news first and end with the good news. And that's what Haggai does here in Haggai 2, verses 10 to 19. And he begins with a very odd, odd, odd story. But if you have your Bibles there, are 2, verse 10 of Haggai, it says, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of King of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of armies says, the Lord of hosts. Uh, verse 11, Now, yeah. Ask the priest for a ruling. Verse 12, if a man is carrying concentrated consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it become holy? And the priest answered, no. Now, there are parts of the Bible, Just, we'll just hold that verse up there for a moment, there's parts of the Bible where you wonder, what are they talking about? Like what is up with this? This is one of those passages you read and you're like, I don't get this. This is so far beyond what I can imagine. Now understand, in the city of Jerusalem, which was the city of God, Zion, you refer to in the Psalms, uh, there was the temple. The temple was the place of God's dwelling place. This is a place where you worship God, where you brought sacrifices to God. When you sinned, you brought an animal to the temple. It was sacrificed. The blood was poured out. The animal was cut up and, and offered to the Lord. That is... Innocent life was a substitute for your sin. They did it every year, continually throughout the year. Animals were brought into the temple, slaughtered, blood poured out. The blood is sprinkled on the altar as a symbol that an innocent life was taken for sin. The penalty for sin is death. And then that meat for different types of sacrifice, different types of offering would be Roasted or thrown into a pot and boiled, there was different ways to do it. And then the priest could take some of that meat. Sometimes you got to take some of the meat home with you, depending on the, you know, there's, it's all written in the law in the Old Testament. You can read it there. But, but what happens is basically once that meat is offered and, and, and roasted, on the, it becomes holy. And the Levite or the priest would take that meat home and feed his family. Sometimes some of them, they, had, they could only eat it in, in the temple itself. And, and so there was rules about that, but it, it was sacred meat at that moment. And what the question is, is like, you know, in the Israelite understanding, the Jewish way, I mean, God was holy. He is holy. And their whole worship was designed for you to get the point that God is holy. He's perfect. He is unapproachable in his holiness because of our sinfulness. And and, and the closer you got to God's literal presence, the fewer people actually got to go there. Because it was so holy, so pure. Everyone was so sinful. Only a certain select group of people. And only once a year, one man, the high priest, got to enter that holy of holy places and offer the sacrifice for the day of atonement. I mean, and it just, it was a visual picture for everyone that this God was so holy, perfect, righteous, that, and we are so sinful that it was really hard to approach him. But in this concept, things could become holy. You would, you know, sanctify the, 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 the spoons and the forks and the different things used in the temple, the, the Levites and the, and the priests were, were deemed to be holy and so they could serve in, in the closer places to the temple. Later on, in, in, uh, as the temple's rebuilt, they built it with different courts. So if you and I went to visit, assuming you're like me and not Jewish, you could go to the first court. It's the court of the Gentiles. And you could worship and pray to God there. And that's as far as you go. There'd be a gate and it would say, you know, Gentiles may not enter any further. Now, all the Jews could go to the next court. The court of the Jewish women and the women and men could go in there. But then, then after that was the court of the Jewish men. And then after that was the courtyard where only the priests and Levites were allowed. And then in the temple itself, only priests and Levites and, and only specific ones that have been chosen. And then, and the inner, inner part of the temple is the Holy of Holies once a year, the high priest. So understand, the closer you got to God, the fewer people got there. but he's like, if you took that holy meat and you brought it home and threw it on your table, boom, and it touched all these things, you know, the, you know if, if it touches the, the stew and the wine and the oil, does it all become holy? And the priest is like, no, it doesn't become holy. So let me just bring it down into our modern day, right? We might say, well, if I, if I do certain things or have certain things on me, does that make me holy? Like, for instance, if I wear a cross, does that suddenly make me holy? Does that make me a Christian? Does that make me, you know, special to God? Well, here's a picture. Does it make you holy? I don't think so. <laughs> now, this is, this is an illustration for the like, under 25s, you know, but this is a rapper. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I Googled him on Plugged In, and it's like, yeah, his songs are not holy. His lyrics are not wholesome, but look at those crosses. Wow. And, you know, you might hang that on, on your, on your rearview mirror in your car. You might have things up in your house, on your property, and you think, yeah, this, this sanctifies my place. And according to Haggai, it's not about just having symbols or carrying them around your neck. It, it goes deeper than that. Deeper than that. It's not enough just to, ki- you know, look at it. God's looking deeper than just the outside of our lives. Verse 13, he asked the other side of the question. Then Haggai asked, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? And the priest answered, it becomes defiled. So the, the, the question was, if you've got holy stuff, will it make other people holy? No, it doesn't. But, but if, you're, if you're defiled, will it make people defiled? Yes! It's hard to transfer a holiness, but defilement transfer is real easy. So if you were a, a Jew and, and you were at home and, and, and you know, someone you know, died in your house, well, suddenly you were unclean. You couldn't go worship in the temple. You couldn't go visit your neighbor. You had to have a period of isolation, quarantine. You were not allowed. You had to pass a certain period of time before then you could come and offer sacrifices and be, and be restored to community. So yeah, defilement happens really easy and this is a picture of sin people we are inherently sinful and we pass our defilement and our sin to each other and to ourselves and it grows in our heart and God invites us in this reset agenda to get right with him and it has to do with our purity and us addressing the sin in our lives on a real heart level not just on the surface he, um, but we sometimes think that there's ways that we can get holy by just doing things, right? Here's another picture I have here. Uh, this is the stone of unction or the stone of anointing. It's in the, um, the church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. You walk into the church and this is what's right in front of you. Uh, it, sometimes it's so crowded and there's people's feet there. I saw them one. They were taking a tractor in there when Lisa and I were because they were doing some work. And literally, the guard just like kicked these ladies' legs out of the way because because people are bowing down. And you know what they're doing? They're they're taking little things and they're rubbing it on the stone because then you take it home and those are holy. I watched the priest, probably from the Orthodox tradition have a backpack, and he pulled out of his backpack just like handkerchiefs, 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 like the whole village, the whole church's handkerchief, handkerchiefs, and he rubbed them all on the stone and put them back in his backpack, right? He's taking them back to the village, and everyone's going to be now especially holy because they've had handkerchiefs that are rubbed on the stone of unction, which ironically was placed there in 1810. <laughs> Supposedly the, the, the rock where Jesus' body was prepared after he died, right? But the... Literally, 1810 was when that rock was put there. So it's not probably the rock that Jesus' body was on. But these people believe it. And there they are, and they're rubbing, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to bring back some of this holy magic back to my house. I mean, we think that. I mean, if you've ever visited, you ever go to Israel, it's awesome. But let me tell you, you don't have to go to Israel to get a spiritual experience. That's not like that anymore. Uh, Anytime two or three gather in my name, God says, I'm there. So you have whole experiences up at Manistiquin Lake, Manitou Lake, even at that slough up there where Pleasant be Bible Camp and you can have spiritual experiences, right? Because two or three people, God's doing work there. I've gathered in homes, in humble situations, and, and wow, I've been in the very presence of God because it just, we man, I mean, we, were in, we were in Mexico in an orphanage, in a kitchen, my friend Steve playing his guitar, and, and, and like, it was like, wow, we felt like we were, you know, I was just on the back doorstep of heaven. It was just beautiful. But, but here people think, okay, if I, if I do these things, if I do these things, the danger is that okay, if I if I go on a missions trip, um, if I go build houses in some third world country or build a church, then then yeah, that's really going to build up, you know, credit in my spiritual account. Um, you know, if, if I wear the cross, if I you know if I if I do the right things, and 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 God's like, I'm going deeper than that. I'm going to your heart. You're not going to get special by rubbing cloths on a rock in in, in a church in Jerusalem. It goes deeper than that, people. You see that in verse 14? Then Haggai replied, So is this people and so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration and so is every work of their hands, even what they offer there, is defiled. Now this would have been very discouraging for these people. This is the bad news. Because, okay wait a second, like I'm part of the group that left Persia. I left my business, I left my home, I left my garden, I left everything I knew there, and I came to this rubble. Surely that should give me some credit. And now here I am working the trowel on the temple and you're calling me defiled? A lot of people can do a lot of things for God but totally miss God and all that activity. Now, if you're not doing anything for God, you're clearly not on the right track either. God invites you in to move with him and to do things with him and for him and, and alongside of him. But um, even pastors, we get caught up in this, thinking we're special because we're doing his work. No, we're not any more special than anyone that, that was on the stage this morning. We're all doing his work. The people that greeted you at the door, the person that made coffee this morning, the, the people downstairs serving your children right now and teaching them God's word. we're all. Doing his work together. I'm, I'm not an elevated status. We're this is a team effort. But here they are, and God says, "You are defiled." It's a it's a hard reality. But you see, before you can get to the good news, you gotta embrace the bad news. We do have a, a core issue in our hearts of sin. God invites us to address that. God is holy, he's righteous, he invites us to, to embrace the sinfulness. And the irony of, of this story is, okay, if someone's holy and you know, has the holy stuff and touches something, will it become holy? No, it doesn't. And we think, okay, so like with our current situation, wouldn't it be awesome if healthy people could just breathe on sick people and they get better? But it doesn't happen that way, right? It happens in reverse, except for one person. Except when Jesus shows up and he touches a leper, guess what? That leper becomes well. And when that woman who's been bleeding in, an, in a very painful and shameful way for 12 years touches Jesus, she's healed. It's, it, only Jesus actually can reverse this and change this reality. That when you encounter Jesus, what is defiled becomes undefiled, becomes Pure. Becomes holy, becomes righteous because of Jesus, not because of the works we do. And so he says in verse 15. Sorry, sorry. No, go back. There is a little cartoon here I want to show you. There we go. Is it contagious? And they're all got spots on their face. He's got spots on their face, right? We think, okay, so so here, here's this is sin, right? We all got sin. It's not like one person's health. I mean, we all got this, this, this sin is contagious to everyone in the human race, right? There they are. Is it contagious? I think so. Yeah, it's contagious, right? I'm not trying to make light of any kind of sickness that's going on in our world right now, but I'm just saying, we're all infected with this. I've said it before. If you're going to, something's going to get you someday. The good news is that in, in Christ, we are offered eternal life. Life that lasts forever and ever. Jesus says to to, to Mary and Martha that even if Lazarus dies, he will live because he believed in me. But we do have this issue with sin in our world where we're all infected. But God comes and, and that's is what the whole temple was about. He's like, I want to have a place where you can make atonement for your sin. I want you to live in a relationship with me. So, so if you don't address the temple, you can't address your relationship with me. When you neglect the temple, what you're telling me is that you don't care about our relationship. When you don't participate in church, when you don't participate with other Christians, you're kind of communicating to God that you don't care about what he thinks is best for you. Reset your purity. And it starts at a heart level. Okay, let's go to verse 15. It says, now from this day on, think carefully or consider. This was the word that showed up in verse chapter 1, right? Consider, you know, Think in your heart to set your heart upon. This is, a, this is a heart issue. This is not just an external issue. This is like, let's get to the inside. Think carefully. Before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's temple, what state were you in? It says in verse 16. When someone came to a grain heap of 20 measures, it only amounted to 10. When one came to the wine press to dip 50 measures from the vat, it only amounted to 20. And I have a picture here. This is what it's like. Every time you opened your wallet, that's what you saw. Nothing. Empty. It's like a this is obviously a parent of teenagers, right? There's no money there, right? It's empty. You come to the to the granary, there's nothing there. You go to the to the barrel, it's empty. You're like, where is it? It's like you kept striving, you kept striving, and this is what's your reality. You had nothing. On our own, without God's help, our life is like this empty wallet. It doesn't satisfy or provide what we need. He's like, you tried, you tried, you tried. It didn't get you anywhere. But he says in verse 17, I struck you. Does that surprise you that God would discipline his children? I don't know if, I mean, I, I had a dad that disciplined me. and I, I didn't like it at the time, but I, I came to appreciate his deep love that he did that for me. And it was a Mexican belt that was woven, and, and, and I received it several times because of my disobedience, and I deserved it, I earned it, and he loved me enough to, 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 to discipline me. He says, God says, I struck you, all the works of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, but you didn't turn to me. I'm, I'm trying to get your attention, and you're not listening, God says. You're, you're. Uh, do I want to do this? I don't want to do this, but I, I'm doing this for your benefit. My dad used to say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I said, I don't believe it. <laughs> but he was—he he loved me. And God, the Father, looks down and says, I, I don't want to discipline you. I, I don't want to, you know, but, but I have to because I want you to be right with me. And they were warned in the book of Deuteronomy, if you don't obey God, this is what's going to happen. And, and so they didn't obey God. It says, look, I, my word is my word, and I've got to stick to my word. So you're not doing what I've called you to do, and so now I have to bring about the curses that I've called to, you know, to happen. When you do that things. but now God's invited them back. He's invited, would you just turn back to me? The book, the story of the prodigal son is a great story in Luke 15. Jesus tells it. You know, son runs away. As for a share of the inheritance, basically spits on his dad's face and his brother's face, walks away. You know, he's going he's gonna to do life on his own. He's going he's gonna to find success on his own. He doesn't need his father, doesn't need his brother, doesn't need his family, doesn't need his faith, doesn't need his home country. He goes to a foreign place. It says he spends it in the King James in riotous living. You know, it'd be like something you'd see on TMZ or some, you know, bad reality TV show, right? Here he's having a good time. And then the money dries up. And he's desperate. And he's, he's, he says he sells himself out to a foreigner, which for a Jew was just horrific. And he gets shoved into to feeding pigs, the unclean animal. And he's not even able to eat the, the pods he's feeding these pigs, and he's just like, man, oh man, oh man, oh man. And finally he says he to so comes to a census. He's like, man, even the slaves in my father's house got it better than this. And says, I'm going back. I'm going to apologize to my father. I'm saying, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And, and, you know, just let me be a slave in your house. And he he returns. And he says he's crossing the field. I'm paraphrasing the story for you, just so you know. He's crossing the field. And then the old patriarch gets up and starts a running. And ancient Near Eastern patriarchs didn't run. They didn't hustle. You walked in a dignified manner. But this old man is running across the field. And he grabs his son. And he's, you know, he's ready to give his speech to his dad. And he doesn't even get to get it out. He's like, oh, father, you know, you know, and it's boom, you know, and he's hugging him. And he's welcoming him. And he's like, quick, bring a new robe for my son. He's part of the family. Put a ring on his finger. Shoes on his feet. He's not a slave in this house. He is my son. And you know that fat Angus steer in the backyard there? Cut the throat and put it on the spit because we're having a party tonight, you know. You think God is just waiting to punish us? No, no, he's waiting to welcome us home. When we've messed up and, you know, turned our backs on him and taken our own path and got in our own trouble, but when we turn back, he's always glad and welcomes us back. And not as... Well, you're back, but you're going to pay for now, for the next 20 years for this, and I'm going to make you pay, and I'm gonna, you're going to remember every day, I'm going to remind you what a horrible wretch of a son you are, and, but I'll let you live in the shed there. And No, no, no. no. Come back home. It's a beautiful picture. Now, then there's the other brothers like, what's going on here? How come, how come this loser gets to come back in, and you don't even do anything for me, and he's the religious guy who just can't stand grace? who thinks that his good works have earned him favor with his father. And as far as like, my relationship with you is my relationship with you. I love you both. What I have is your son. But let's celebrate the, the restoration of relationship. That's what it's all about. The father's heart says, I want to know you. He says, you didn't return to me. If you go through this whole season of chaos that our world is in, and don't discover, God, you've missed a clear opportunity. I mean, the only place that I can go is to God in this whole mess that we're in. I'm charting the church down the middle of the road, and there's people over here that are saying this, and there's people over here that are saying this, and then there's they're hearing people out there saying other things, and there's... People saying, well, it's the Christian thing to do to do this. It's the Christian thing to do not to do this. And, blah, blah. and, you know, I'm just like, okay, Lord, I don't know where to go, but I'm just hanging on to you and I'm focusing on you and I'm, I'm trusting in you. All this blaring and noise out there and people misusing Scripture to support some viewpoint that is so temporal and not what the Scripture was intended to speak to. And I'm just like, God, I just want to get back to you. I want to focus on you. I want to find your strength. I want to not walk in fear or anxiety. I want my people to know your strength, to know your courage, to know your peace, to know your joy through this, and not to be afraid. I'm not against the world or the politicians or the media, but they don't have God on their side. They're not respecting him. They're not seeking him. So their advice to me is secondary to God's advice to me. It always will be. I respect it, but I don't need to follow it because I follow God first. But it puts me in an awkward place. But then I come to God and said, I need your help. Help me through this. And several of you and many of you are dealing with the same thing. If you've got someone in long-term care, you know it's just a disaster. It's a mess. They're not able to have people come in a lot to visit them, and it makes it really difficult if you have, have medical procedures in, in, in the queue, you find now you're getting pushed off because of, I mean, there's a lot of stress in this, but, but we could discover God in this. We can turn to him. We can help our kids and our families discover God's peace, God's strength through the storm. You didn't turn to me. I hope that's not the story for, for you and for me through, through COVID, that we didn't turn to God. I hope we turned to Him. and we ask for wisdom and strength and for truth to be clear in our minds to show the the lies and the the false deceptions that are out there and and related to to any number of issues that that go on week to week in in, in the media and and, and on both sides. But to say, Lord, just help me to find you through this and and to wade through the mess. And and you know what? A good way to do that is to watch less TV and read more scripture. Turn off the news feeds and get back to God's word. You might find that you'll find peace restored in your soul. But unfortunately, we live in this world. Fortunately, we all have to buy groceries and go to the bank. So somehow we had to wade through this together. And then God says, in verse 18, From this day on, think carefully. Consider. Set your heart upon. Again, this is internal issues. This is not outside. This is inside. God's like, okay, let, let's, let's reprogram your heart now. Just think carefully. Let's get that aligned right with the heavenly Wi-Fi signal so that you're getting the right message here. Think carefully. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, think carefully. He's like, "This this is a turning point, people, in your lives. This is a turning point in your lives. Is there still seed in the granary? Yeah, there's a few. In the corner there, there's a little pile there. The vine, the fig, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced. But, finally, at the end of this passage, finally, the very, very end, he says, but from this day on, I will bless you. Why? because that was the day that they decided and endeavored to be obedient to God. That was the day of surrender, the day of consecration, the day they, they were moving forward on the t- temple and, and it was the foundation was in place. He's like, now the tables have turned. Now you are going to experience what I want everyone to experience, my blessing. God does, loves to bless his people. That's the heart of, of the God of the scriptures and, and of Jesus is a, is a heart to bless us. Now, the greatest blessings are not physical. The greatest blessings are spiritual. They're reserved in heaven for us. And, and it's, it's the real living presence of God in our life every day. That is the greatest blessing you enjoy. It's not the house you live in, the car you drive, the toys you have, the, the vacation properties. That, that is not the greatest blessing. Those are blessings. God blesses you with all that stuff. But the greater blessings are those deep ones. And if you've ever traveled to a third world country, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've experienced people that have blessing in their life. They don't own a car. They live in like a... Garden shack by our standards, but they are rich in the Lord Jesus and in his relationship and his love. And you're like, man, if only North Americans that I, I know could just experience this. And we go there and think, oh, they need more stuff. They need more stuff. And they're like, we don't need more stuff. We got everything we need. And sometimes days are hand to mouth, and they're just struggling to survive, but they have discovered the richness of, of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. They've reset their purity and their righteousness. From this day on, I will bless you. Here's a picture I got right here. It's a beautiful flower. It's the pomegranate flower. Lovely reddish orange. You know, you think about the winter, right, and how stark it looks, especially in our country here, you know. I mean, it's, all these trees are just bare. Little sticks just sticking up, you know. And then the spring comes, and little greens start to show up. But then when you see the color, then you know there's, there's, there's going to be a harvest coming. It's a reminder that spring and better days are ahead. The summer is, is approaching. And God's like, the blossoms are coming. The fruit will show up on the trees because I am with you, and I intend to bless you. It may not feel like we're in the season of blessing. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't have some flowers on our trees that are forming fruit right now. Our challenge is to cultivate the kingdom message in this season that we're in. Do people need hope? Yeah, they need hope. Do people need peace? Yeah, they need peace. Do they need to be made right with God? Yeah, they need to be made right with God. But that only comes through Jesus Christ. No amount of work, effort, Wearing crosses, hanging things up, you know, spraying water on your house, whatever you do, none of that's going to make a difference until you do the heart surgery and address your sinfulness, your selfishness, your innate self-preservation and need to be right. And we all have this, all of us. And hey reminds him, I want you to be my people, to walk in humility with me to experience my blessing. So reset your purity with me. Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross. He rose again. And he died as as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He was that substitute once and for all. So thankfully, you came today. You didn't have to bring your lamb or your rooster or your goat or your steer. You didn't have to bring it in. I mean, you know, some of you have those in your homes, but you didn't have to bring it. Why? Because we have accepted and believed in the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have reset our purity through God's provision for us, Jesus Christ. And if there's any hope for our world, for our community, for our families, for our schools, for our workplaces, the lasting life and hope is found in Jesus. And it starts with us resetting our lives around Jesus And then God says, now I'm going to use your life to help others reset their lives around Jesus. And that's why you are at the school you're at. That's why you work where you work. That's why you live where you live. That's why you have the family you have. I mean, it's so you can demonstrate and show and help people to experience and encounter life in Jesus. I hope that Jesus can shine through my life and through your life this week as we reset Our priorities, our passion, our perspective, and our purity. That means keeping a short account with God, and acknowledging our sin, repenting daily, weekly, whatever it needs. But, you know, just keeping that account and walking in obedience to him. You can't say, I love Jesus, but not obey his commands, John says in his epistle. I love Jesus, but I'm going to do whatever I want. It doesn't work that way. He says, I love Jesus, and therefore I will obey him because he wants my best. He wants to bless me. When I disobey Jesus, I step outside of his blessing. When I obey him, I experience it in a fuller and greater level each and every day. I want you to be blessed. You watching online, you here in the room, I want you to experience God's fullest blessing. It comes with obedience heartfelt obedience. A reboot, a reset of your heart, a complete realignment of your life under the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. Until you get that right, nothing will work for you in life. That's the starting point. That's the reset. And I invite you, maybe you're watching online, you're in the community here, you're like, I want to check out this guy. But if you haven't realigned your, reset your life around Jesus Christ, today's the day to do that but maybe even as believers here in this room, some of you are like, you know, I've been resetting on a different agenda and now I'm just returning back to Jesus and to God's agenda for my life. And I'm going to find his strength and his peace through the storm that I am experiencing in my life today. And he's here and he's waiting for you and he's listening. So I'm going to invite the team up. They have a closing song they're going to lead us in. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me and um, I want to pray for you that together we could experience this blessing of God as we walk in obedience to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to be our savior. I thank you for this, your church family, and those watching online, Lord. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your guidance. Where we have disobeyed, forgive our disobedience. I pray for a turning back to you. I pray that you would guide us in the way of truth, guide us in the path of love. Lord, help us to to reflect you and your kingdom and Jesus Christ here in this community and in this church as we go through this mess in which our world is in. You alone are our hope. We place our trust in you today. Jesus name. Amen. Now for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, God bless you.